Well, hey, I'm glad you're here because we are right in the middle of our Discipline to Go Deep series. And for those of you who are with us, at our third anniversary a few weeks ago, we decided, hey, we really want to live out these values you see there, loving God, sharing life, proclaiming Jesus. We said, hey, if we're going to live out these values, we're going to have to dig a little deeper. The problem is with you and me, when we're left to our own devices, we're just a little bit shallow, just truth be told. We lack the resolve we need to do all that God's called us to do. So we need to apply a little discipline. We said, hey, we want to go deep. It's just going to take a little discipline. After that, we looked at prayer. We said, hey, prayer, it's the meeting we don't want to miss. We have a daily appointment with Jesus, and Jesus has instructed us and invited us into prayer. And it's just, when it becomes a rhythm of our lives, it's wonderful. And, I, and we had a great testimony from Dela last week about um, how she followed that Matthew 6 example and, and found it a joy to pray. And then last week, the challenge was fasting, okay, discipline that may not have been first on your radar, but we decided, hey, fasting was kind of the nuclear option. It's how you can really unleash your hunger for God. If you find yourself a little dull, if you find yourself in in great need, if you find yourself in need of a consecration before starting something, fasting's a great way to go. And so we had several of you try it this week, and I'm so excited, and I just want to invite Phil Masterson to come and share a little bit about his experience with fasting this week. And also, I'd just like to invite Jenna and um, Matt Schwabar up. Just be real close because I'm going to need you guys in a moment to start our next thing. So, Phil, every time I do this, I turn off the mic. Let me turn it on for you and tell us about fasting this week. Thanks, Dan. Um, so, I, this past week, I did a 24-hour fast. I did 6 p.m. on Tuesday to 6 p.m. on Wednesday. And the, kind of the focus, I guess I was just really praying and thinking about um, my job first, and then also faith groups, because that was the week that it started. Um, and at about 5.40 on Wednesday, 20 minutes before, um, you know, breaking fast, uh, I, I had my sandwich right next to me. I was reading the word, uh, <laughs> but it was right there. I just felt, I just heard this little voice inside me. It was like, come on, dude, what is 20 minutes? Just go, go have a bite of that sandwich. It's going to be good. And I was like, oh, man, I know it is. I, 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 I want it so badly, but... I just really, and then right after that, my flesh just was, you know, crying out for that sandwich. But I just, I just, you know, heard the Lord say, no, you know, just 20 more minutes. And it turned out to be that 20 minutes just turned out to be an awesome, like, intimate time of prayer um, with, with Jesus. And, and at 6 o'clock, I enjoyed that sandwich. I did. But it was just a great, a great um, time for me to just realize that battle between the flesh and the spirit um, and the way to kind of overcome that by, you know, by fasting. Amen. Thanks, Phil. And as many of you are so aware of, especially in the physical arena, just like a little discipline goes a long way. A little consistency goes a long way. And it's so true as well in these spiritual disciplines. You're loved by God. You're accepted by Him. You're not doing it to earn His love, but you're doing it to walk in more fruitfulness. Thanks, Phil. And so we get to today. And today, we're putting another kind of tool in our tool belt of disciplines that we can employ in getting a little more deep. And in order to introduce this, <clears throat> this discipline, I asked some friends to come help me. And basically, I'm going to try to make a point here. They're going to do a great job making this point. I'm going to, Matt's going to start. And basically, what I want to do is, I want to prove to you that you know more than you think you know, that you absorb more than you think you absorb. So now, Josh Booth, the worship leader, then has already said, hey, it's okay to raise the roof more than ever. Now, when these guys are going to share a little bit, it is okay to raise the roof. As soon as you get what they're doing... Nothing's holding you back. You join right in. Matt Schwabs, take us there. Let's see what these guys know. I just need to start myself off a second. Come on. 
Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, and I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. In West Philadelphia, born and raised, on the playground is where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool and all shooting some b-ball outside of the school. When a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one Come little on. fight. My mom got scared. She said, you're moving with the auntie and uncle in Bel Air. I whistled for a cab and when it Incredible. came near, the license plate said fresh it had a dice in the mirror. If anything, I could say that this cab was rare, but I thought, man, forget it. You're home to Bel Air. I pulled up to the house about seven or eight and I yelled to the cabbie, Yo home, smell you later. Looked at my kingdom, I was finally there to sit on my throne as the Prince of Bel Air. Come on, give yourselves a round of applause. If you could only have heard yourselves, you guys know this. Genevieve, come this on. This one might need some audience participation. Oh, please, audience participation, welcome. <clears throat> So no one told you life was gonna be this way Your Come job's on. a joke, you're broke Your love life's the way It's like you're always stuck in second gear When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month Or even your year But I'll be there for you When the rain starts to fall I'll be there for you Cause I've been there before, I'll be there for you, cause you're there for me too. Wow, give yourselves a round of applause. Why do we Come not on. have a gospel choir at our What? Church? I know. <laughs> yes. Jenna asks, why do we not have a gospel choir at our church? Because we do, actually. <clears throat> awesome. Listen, you guys, we absorb more than we realize. We do meditate on things naturally, okay? You're meditating on things all the time. If it was Kelsey and I, we, we, were, we could have maybe just done a little uh, intro to um, Law and Order, but I was feeling insecure, so I didn't do it. <laughs> I can do the last sentence, right? You know, these are their stories. Dun, dun. We love that. <laughs> Sorry. I'll do the whole thing later. <clears throat> the sentence before. Anyways, but we just, you know, we naturally meditate on things. Or in those little pauses in the day, you're waiting for the elevator, or longer pauses, like when I'm riding my bike, oftentimes, you know, our minds, they will chew on things, they'll think about things, they'll make relationships, it, my mind will make relationships with other things, you know, whether it's an anger fantasy, or whether it's a frustration, or whether it's a hope or a dream, we are always meditating on different things. So the problem comes when you or I, we come up to this little scripture called Philippians 4.8, and at the end of this letter that Paul has written to the church at Philippi, he's given a bunch of really quick instructions. Hey, rejoice. Hey, pray. Hey, don't be anxious. And by the way, listen to this. He says, whatever, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think on these things. Think on these things. Dwell on these things. Or the Greek word, logizomai, on these things, which means render them true. And I kind of look at that and I just go, Paul, what is this? Is this Peter Pan? You know, think lovely thoughts. Think lovely. It's, it's a scene where they start to fly. I don't know if you've seen it, but 
think? And I just think, hey, this is a nice idea, Paul, but how do I do it? Just tell me, how can I do this? My mind's a little bit out of control. I need to know, how can I really do this? As always, thank God He's given us some clues on how to meditate, on how to rein in our minds for His glory and for, this, and for our own good, really. And this clue, these clues come from many places, but I'm going to focus on one today. I mentioned it briefly when we introduced the series, and that is Joshua 1.8. I'd like you to turn to Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, and let's learn how we meditate. Let's learn about this discipline called meditation. <clears throat> Joshua is getting, has been groomed by Moses and by the Lord to take the people of Israel into the promised land. And God is saying, be strong and courageous, Joshua. And then he says this, he says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. So what is meditation? What is meditation? He says to meditate on it. The Hebrew word there is hagah. And we looked at it already when we looked at Psalm 1. And it means to murmur. Okay, it doesn't mean just to think kind of abstractly. But it means to murmur. It means to mutter. It even means to growl. And that could be strange if we all started growling Scripture. So please don't do it. That'd be weird. But the point is that part of meditation is verbal and it's out loud. The best visual picture I have for what God invites us to as far as He's inviting us into a way to relate to His Word and His truth. And the best picture I have is the picture of Iowans. You'll appreciate this. A cow chewing its cud. Okay? Now, why does a cow chew its cud? It chews some. It takes it into a stomach. And then actually it comes back up, regurgitates, so it can start to chew it again. To get what? More nutrients. To digest it better. Okay? Do you see the parallels that are happening? In order to digest it better, to get more out of it, there's a holy regurgitation happening from this cow. This is what meditation is. Meditation is holy regurgitation. Meditation is holy regurgitation of Scripture. Now let me be really careful and clear and tell you what it is not. Okay? Because meditation, of course, often some of us are kind of put off by the Word because we, we think of kind of some Eastern practices. And don't get me wrong, I'm not downing all, you know, all of Eastern practices. I mean, there is always some truth, little t, in certain things. But I want to be clear that meditation is not emptying of your mind, right? We're not talking about emptying, right? That's kind of more the Eastern approach is empty your mind so you can separate yourself from others or from evil. That's an Eastern practice. Separate yourself from others or separate yourself from evil by just emptying your mind. That's not what is being talked about by the writers of the Old Testament. That's not what they had in mind. Neither is biblical meditation uh, a repetition of just phrases, you know, just a mantra so that you can get in touch with the spiritual world deeper. 
okay? You are already super in touch with the spiritual world, okay? Jesus lives inside you. 1 John 4, 4, right? Greater is he who lives in you than he who lives in the world. We are living a miracle that the Old Testament people longed for, the fact that God is not just in the Holy of Holies anymore, only to be accessed once a year by one man, the high priest. But we have the living God living inside you. He really can't get any closer. So there's no need for you to access the spiritual realm by repeating meaningless phrases. Now, there's maturity for all of us. There's more growth for all of us. There's more grace for us to know Christ and know Him better. But it's different from using phrases just to penetrate the spiritual world. That's not what you're doing. So The question is, on what do we meditate? Let's look again at this Joshua 1.8, right? He says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. So what are we trying to meditate on? As, as wonderful it is to meditate on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and that is exciting. You just proved that to me. And as wonderful as it is to meditate on the Friends theme song, also exciting, or as wonderful as it is for me and my wife to repeat the beginning of Law and Order to each other at the beginning and go, dun-dun, when the whole show starts, these aren't bearing a whole lot of eternal fruit in our lives. What does bear eternal fruit is when we meditate on the Word of God. Again, we're not emptying, we're filling. We need to fill ourselves with God's Word. Life is hard enough. My mind is confused enough. What I need to do is meditate on the truth of God's Word. I'm trying to do this process. Meditation is holy regurgitation of the Word of God. Okay? And this is where the discipline comes in. Because I can meditate easily on friends. I can meditate easily on other things. But the discipline comes in on meditating on God's Word, which is life-giving. And now to the crux of it all. Why, why, why? Why do we meditate on the Word of God? And I think one of the best answers I've ever heard is from a guy named George Mueller. Some of you know him. He was a founder of an orphanage in England, a man who lived by faith. You know, he gathered these orphans. At times, the crisis would be such that They'd have no breakfast for the orphans he's had under his care. And so what does he do? He prays. The man's a man of faith. He prays and he says, God, I have no milk and no bread for the children that you've put in my care. And he prays. And then, of course, like a, a milk cart overturns, or I can't remember the exact story. They have extra. And so the milk cart comes by and says, hey, we just, you know, knocks on his door and says, hey, do you happen to need extra milk? And they just give glory to God. This is a man who lives by faith. He probably has some authority in what he's saying. And this is what he says. He said in kind of his normal just reading of the word, it was like water passing through a pipe that had no real effect. But when he would meditate on the word, chew on it, right? Think about it. Speak it out loud to himself. Process it. When he would do that, what would happen is the word, he said, it would wind down in him. It would wind down in him. It would get in him so that he could commune with God and hear him. Okay, do you hear the difference? So you commune with God and hear him. So why do we meditate? Meditation, as you've seen, it's holy regurgitation that leads to transformation. What we're after is change. I need change. You need change. We need change. And it happens, one of the ways it happens is by ruminating on God's word. And so we looked at Psalm 103 earlier, and that one is really special to me, and here's why. When I really started to take seriously Jesus as my Lord, and that was in my college years, 
I came to this kind of impasse where I thought, hey, God, I feel ambivalent towards you. You know, sometimes I feel really close, but a lot of times I feel like you're far away. I feel like I don't really know that you're there. I'm not assured of your presence, God. What do you really think about me? And so I just kind of said, God, show me. What do you think about me? Let me hook onto something here that tells me what you think. And I came across Psalm 103, and I started to meditate on it, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all His benefits. And I started to think, yes, God, there's benefits to walking with you. Who forgives all your sins. I'd say, God, I need to know this because I don't need anyone to tell me that Romans 3.23 is true, right? The wages, or sorry, it's Romans 6.23. 3.23, help me out. It's um, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? I knew that and I just was feeling guilty all the time. So Lord, thank you. You forgive all my sin. You heal all my diseases. And I didn't have a particular physical malady at that time. But I, I knew the way that I was relating to people, that I was diseased. My soul had taken some serious wounds as an adolescent. I said, God, the way I relate to people is really diseased. I'm too needy and whatnot. And I just want to get a little more secure. Thank you, God. You heal all my diseases. It says he redeems your life from the pit. And I was in a pit often, pretty discouraged, often depressed, kind of under a cloud a lot. And I said, God, I need to know this is true, that you redeem, you purchase, you buy back my life from the pit. And you crown me with love and compassion, right? That's not ambiguous. That's not unclear, right? A crown, I mean, everyone can see it. It's gold, it's glittery. It's, everyone can see that, hey, there's love on me. God loves me. And compassion, it means to suffer with. So God is suffering with me when I hurt. You see, a simple meditation, I just started to chew on those words. And all of a sudden, what was just a few ink on a page turned into an experience with my God. This is meditation. This is the discipline that we all need to engage in. Holy regurgitation that leads to our transformation. What about you? What are some of your issues? What do you need to do? On, on what do you need to meditate to deal with your stuff? Let me tell you about a couple others for me. You know, one was I'd walk into a room. Again, I'm thinking of my college years. I'd walk into a room, and I would just all of a sudden feel, ah, you know, there's several other people there, five people, 10 people, 20 people, and I just, ugh, I'm insecure. You know, I don't know what to do. And uh, I feel weird, <laughs> uncomfortable with myself in my own flesh, you know. And so I just said, God, I've got to get over this. I have got to get a place where I can just freely relate to people because it's what you've made me to do. And so I just got Philippians 2, 3 and 4 in me so I could turn the tables, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you must look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. So now when I walk in a room by God's grace, I say, God, just help me to look to the interests of others right now. I'm tired of being self-conscious. Let me be others conscious. Let me be God conscious. See what you want to do, right? Just a basic little thing, but it was, a, it was an ordeal for me. I had to work it through. Or one that's been really great. You know, it's funny what scriptures motivate you and ones don't, but for whatever reason, in my own desire to walk in purity, Jonah 2.8 has become one that I've really grabbed onto. Jonah 2.8, it says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. 
Sounds like it could be a little condemning scripture, but honestly, that just fueled me, and I can't explain why. Those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I said, God, for years I've been forfeiting grace that could have been mine. Could have been mine. I'm just sick of it. I want to grab a hold of all you have. I want to walk away from these worthless idols. <clears throat> could, could we just have some of the, our um, administrators and helpers just open some of the windows? I'm, are you guys hot? I'm like extremely hot in here. I hope we just get a few of them open. I know it might be a little chilly, but awesome. What about you? Okay, you find a scripture. And you, you get one um, that could um, help you get through. So holy, we're saying meditation is holy regurgitation that leads to your transformation. Does it, does it stop there? I don't think so. Why else are we meditating? Let's look at the scripture. It says, right, it says, do, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. I want to get changed so that I obey. Okay, I need change so that I can obey. Do you remember Psalm 119? It's that really long psalm. There's a couple of verses in there that I love. Verse 9, right? It says, um, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. And a couple of verses later in verse 11, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart, O God, so that I may not sin against you. You see, you get that in you. So that you change, you transform, so that you obey. I want to do my holy regurgitation so that I have some transformation so that I obey. And again, looking at this scripture, is God just after your obedience so he can feel good about himself just being on a power trip because he's the God of the universe and you're not? I don't think so. Usually when God calls us to obedience, it's not just for his glory, but it's for your good also. And so let's read the end of this. Read it again, right? It says, do not let This book of the law, depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. Then you'll be prosperous. Then you'll be successful. Okay, when I think about the destiny and the callings and the things that God has put in your hearts to do and be, I get really excited. I want you to know that. when, When I spend time with you in the week and when I wish I could spend time with a lot more of you during the week, I can't. We just have... 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But I get really excited about what God's called you to do and be. If God's calling you to holy regurgitation, so you can undergo some transformation, so that you can obey, so that you can conquer, so you can be blessed, it's going to be a good thing. Look at the context here. Look at Joshua. Sorry, someone's really embarrassed about their cell phone. It's okay. I'm just <laughs> glad it's not me. <clears throat> Bless you. Sorry, I should look to someone else's interest, not my own. I wish it was me. God's called you to be prosperous and successful. God was calling Joshua. Let's not forget the context here, which was he was calling Joshua to lead the people of Israel into conquest. Likewise, he wants to lead you into all the fullness of your destiny, all that God has for you, all that he's made you to do and be. And it's not going to start out really big. Actually, can I just underline this point? This start, one of the keys of you accessing all that God has for you is when no one's looking, you're meditating on some scripture. You're meditating on some truth that you get changed. That's where the victory starts. You and God meditating. It's not glorious, but watch what God will do. So when we think about meditating, it's not just this exercise for the desert fathers, for the monks of old. Yes, they conquered 
their hearts. And they did some great things. And thank God for the monastic movement because it preserved a lot of our scripture, a lot of other wonderful things. But this discipline of meditation, it's not just for a few kind of hermity, bizarre, strange, you know, 5% of the church. It's for you and for me. It's for people like Joshua who have been called to conquer and do something. People like you who God's called to do great exploits for him in cooperation with the body of Christ. And it starts with a little holy regurgitation leading to your transformation so that you obey and then you conquer. So how do you do it? We've gotten some clues. Hopefully you're getting a feel for just how we do it by what we've been doing in this whole service. But I just got some practicals for you, okay? Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Do say it over and over. I try to uh, involve, you know, three things. My reading, so I'm seeing it. I'm seeing the scripture. I'm saying it out loud. And I'm obviously listening to it when I'm speaking. So when those three things are happening, the other things that I do is I slow it down and I pause and I expect God to speak to me. I expect Him to make the connections that He wants me to make about these different words. And I love to do, there's some little word exercises that I do that are really helpful. And just as an illustration, I want to take the first five words of Psalm 23. Maybe you've heard of it before. And watch what happens. My, my mentor in college, his name was Kurt Baylor, and he said that when you meditate, it's like every word that you meditate on is a door. And behind that door is more treasure and more revelation and more surprise from God. And so we take the first five words of the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, and watch what I do and watch what happens, right? I'll just do a thing. We're going to do it together. Well, I just emphasize each word differently. So right now, I want you to emphasize the second word, the Lord. Let's all say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. So what's that? Okay, the understanding is, hey, who's taking care of me? The God of the universe. He's taking care of me. The Lord is my shepherd. Let's emphasize the third word now. The Lord is my shepherd. Wow, that's a whole different meaning. Now I'm saying, yes, God, you're actively involved in my life. The Lord is my shepherd. You're not far away. You're not, you're not distant. You're not missing. You're here. The Lord really is my shepherd. Let's emphasize the fourth word. Let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. Oh, you mean out of the six to eight billion people on the planet, God, you actually care about me? The Lord is my shepherd. You care about me. I count. You're for me. You see me. I'm known. And you love me. Let's try the fifth one. Let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. Yes, God. Although you are mighty, exalted, and on high, the fact is you're also my shepherd. And we really got to appreciate the role of a shepherd to appreciate that word, right? God, you, you know when I need to lie down. You know when I need to move on. You know when I'm hungry. You know all about me, and you're caring for me diligently, attentively, right? And so look, we've just meditated on five words, and God's opened up some meaning, and the faith has risen to the room, and there's an interaction happening between your heart and the heart of God, because you're meditating, mulling on, chewing on Scripture, murmuring it, and it's wonderful. And one thing that I encourage you to do also And actually, John, our college pastor, may touch on this next week when he talks about the discipline of study, which is a different approach to the Word of God, and we need all. But you can involve helps, you know? The World Wide Web is a pretty incredible thing. So even if you don't own a concordance, a dictionary, a lexicon, you can use blueletterbible, you know, .org or Bible Gateway. 
And I just start to look up different words. And I, and I would, you know, if it's really speaking to you, you write it down. I still, in my desk in my office, I have the notes that I took on Psalm 103 when I was just out of college, trying to get that thing in me so I'd be changed. I'd know that God was who He said He was. And I have those notes because I looked up all the key words in English and then in Hebrew. And I just, just this wealth of meaning came to pass. When I read those words, it's like, it's just so rich to me and it's wonderful. Meditation is holy regurgitation that leads to transformation. I want you to say that with me, okay? Meditation is holy regurgitation that leads to transformation. That's what you're after. And so I always like leaving you with a challenge, right? Two weeks ago, I left you the challenge. Hey, pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Matthew 6, for seven days, see how God changes you. You have that wonderful testimony from Dela. Last week, he was, hey, why don't you try fasting? You're not going to die. Phil's not dead, okay? He's still here. He missed a couple meals. Instead, he actually got the presence of God. So not as only he's alive, but he's alive better than he was last week. He had God visit him in his fasting. And this week, I just want to encourage you, find a scripture, like a verse, a couple verses. It's a very micro kind of thing that you're doing. Maybe there's an issue that's really pressing to you, and you want to find a scripture that addresses it. If you need help, ask your faith group leader. Ask a friend. Ask someone who you trust their knowledge of the Word of God and say, hey, this is my issue. Can you think of a scripture that could help me with this? Do that. And you get that verse or that second verse or three verses. And I should encourage you for seven days in a row, right? Just like your physical working out, it's consistency that matters more than, ah, you know? Just little by little. I just encourage you, seven days in a row, you just meditate on that scripture. Read it over. Talk about it. You may memorize it, okay? It's not the focus, though, right? I mean, look, you didn't plan on memorizing friends, but all of you did somehow, right? You just focus on meditating on the Scripture. Watch how it comes into your heart. And what's fun about this, and I'm just, I just want to keep hammering this home, as we as a people are people who pray, as we as a people start to fast, and as the harbor as a people starts to meditate on the Word of God, we're going to be becoming the deep people we want to be so that effectively we're really loving God, right? Effectively we're sharing life. Effectively we're proclaiming Jesus because we got the Word in us. Amen? Amen.